How are you? Welcome, and uh, welcome to everybody who's watching on the live stream in the 9 o'clock service. Uh, run through some announcements real quick. Uh, so new members class tonight at 6, uh, youth confirmation at 11.30 right after the 10.15 service. 12.30 is adult Bible study on Zoom, and we're starting a study of Deuteronomy. So if you're interested in that, uh, shoot me a text or an email, and I will send you out um, an invitation to join us with that. Uh, Sandy wants me to ask, for those of you who are helping pack boxes for the Thanksgiving dinners for the Glen Carbon Elementary School mission, uh, meet here at five. If you were wanting to donate to that, but you did not get a chance, you can donate up until five, because they'll be here at five to pack those. So if you have any questions, uh, get a hold of her. Also, by the way, if you're coming to the new members class and they're still working downstairs at five, we'll just meet up here in the sanctuary for that. Um, check, out the, uh, check out the announcements in the back of the bulletin. I actually have one more thing I need to run by you guys real quick. So in two weeks, we're going to be asking you to do, it's the annual congregational meeting, fun, fun. Uh, so what we're doing is approving the budget uh, for next year, approving constitution and bylaws. Uh, grab a copy of those on your way out there back there and uh, give those a read over the next couple of weeks. And then if you have any questions, talk to one of the elders and or finance people, Elaine or Cheryl or Joe or uh, Bob or Doug. And if you have any questions, you can ask them. I think that's all I have for announcements. I'm going to have um, Stacy and Kate come up and do youth group stuff. But before they come up, I just want to say I, I debated about whether or not to have them do what they're going to do now, right in the middle of my sermon. And when you hear the sermon, you'll understand why. So I just want you to take what's happening now uh, seriously, not just as an announcement of events that you can or cannot sign up for, but as uh, quite possibly the call of Jesus Christ for your life. So I just want you to take it seriously that this is not just another youth group thing, but that, or another announcement like, you know, here's an event coming up tonight, but to see it as part of God's call for the Christian church. All right, ladies. Um, hello. So we want to thank um, our St. James Youth Group wants to thank um, St. James for doing Operation Christmas Child. Our last boxes were delivered yesterday, and we, um, we um, packed 103 boxes. 103. So thank you. Okay. And Youth Group has a new mission that we are getting ready to start. On December 12th, Saturday, December 12th, we have been asked to join a group of area churches who feed the homeless in Granite City once a month on Saturday. And we are going to go on December 12th, and we are going to deliver some Christmas gifts to the homeless who come to this dinner. The dinner's already provided for. Anyone who wants to go with us is welcome to come. It's at the Community Care Center in Granite City from 1230 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The meal is provided by Ravenelli's. What we're going to bring is new hats, gloves, and scarves that we are going to wrap in Christmas paper and give them as a gift. In addition to that, some Christmas cards. So I need all my Sunday schoolers. I've got a few Sunday schoolers here today. I need you guys to help me. On Tuesday night before this, this event, the youth group is going to host a night where we're going to have a wrapping party. Families can sign up for 30-minute slots from 6.30 to 8 during our youth group hour. And you can come and wrap the gifts, create Christmas cards to go with them. We'll serve cookies, hot chocolate, and you can watch a little Christmas movie while you're here. 
And by having this, I'll send out a sign-up genius for everybody so you can pick a time slot. That way we have everybody kind of spaced out and we don't have too many people here all at one time. But we're really excited about this opportunity. Anyone who wants to come on that day will meet outside the community care center and sing some Christmas carols. It'll be so fun. So I would love to see all my little Sunday schoolers come join us and any families from the church who just want to come and help and be a volunteer and see what this is all about. You are greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sin to God. You are the Lord and you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve them all. You have called us to yourself and given us a covenant. You have become our God and made us your people, and yet we have turned away from you. We have rebelled against you. You have delivered us many times according to your covenant mercies. You have warned us and yet we have acted presumptuously. You have sent us prophets, and we have turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened our necks and would not obey your law. You are the Lord and you alone. You are our God, great and mighty. You keep covenant and steadfast love. We deplore our sins before you and before each other. They have only gotten us into trouble. They have only enslaved us. They have not given us the happiness they promised. Deliver us from our sin and the power and attraction of sin through the faithful suffering and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose intercession we plead and in whose name we pray. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Psalm is from Psalm 39. This is the psalm for the last Sunday of the church here. I didn't put this in here, and I, I left it out accidentally. But the first line that I'm going to read here is actually from 1 Peter. And then the rest of the lines are from Psalm 39. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you a guest like all my fathers. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. I, I forgot to say this in the announcements. Give me a second to say another announcement. Seven o'clock Wednesday night, we're going to have a Thanksgiving Eve service here. Uh, you can come here and attend it, or you can, uh, it'll be live streamed and uh, you can watch it via the live stream. Also, on Wednesday night, uh, we usually get together, some of us, for a Bible study, a midweek Bible study. That group is still going to, there's going to be a Zoom meeting at 745, and anybody who wants to join that and participate, and there's usually, after they do the Bible study, there's like a community group style 
time of like questions and answers and discussion after that. That's going to be opened up so you can still do that if you, if you wish. Okay, Ezekiel 34. And before I start reading this, I, I, can you let me preach a mini sermon here? I want you, Ezekiel is in Babylon. The people of Israel are in exile. And Ezekiel is prophesying a day when Yahweh is going to turn history, vindicate his people, and make all things new, the new creation. And the way he phrases it is this, is that you have been led astray by bad shepherds. I'm going to be your good shepherd. Now, I want you to think as we're reading this, like an, an ancient Jew who had, was filled up on the hope of Ezekiel 34 and this promise that God was going to come and someday be your shepherd. And I want you to listen to this, and I want you to think of it as somebody who would be hearing Jesus preach John 10 for the first time. Because my goal is that when you hear Jesus preach John 10, which we're not going to talk about this morning, is that, you know, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, that you're not like, oh, that's really kind of touching and devotional. Jesus is like, you guys know, it's like your sheep, and I'm a shepherd, and I love you. You know, there's more to it that what Jesus wants you to hear is Ezekiel 34 is coming to pass now because I am the good shepherd and I'm here. So Ezekiel 34, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is 1 Corinthians 15. You know, it's interesting in the Ezekiel 34 reading, that up higher in the reading, Yahweh says, I will be their shepherd. And then down lower, he says, I'm going to send David to be their shepherd. And of course, it's only the perspective looking back on this side of the incarnation of the Son of God, looking backwards, can we tell that that was actually the same promise, the Son of David and Yahweh uh, both being our shepherd. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul's, 1 Corinthians 15, classic uh, Pauline text about the resurrection of the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. 
after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. and Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, so uh, here at the, this is Matthew 25, we spent the past three weeks, uh, this has been the New Testament readings, uh, gospel readings for the past three weeks, um, all, connected to, all connected to each other, uh, the parable of the wise and foolish girls uh, three weeks ago, parable of the talents last week, and then uh, the story of the sheep and the goats, the final judgment here uh, this week. All three of them connected, super important by the way, Matthew, if you could... Um, if you were looking in your Bibles at this, you would see that, these, that this chapter here, Jesus preaches these three sermons as the last thing that he says to his followers before Passion Week. Matthew 26 begins, you know, the journey to the cross. And so Matthew, Matthew's trying to make that point. This is super important, okay? Three weeks ago, the parable of the wise and foolish girls. What was the message there? This story, you remember the story about the, uh, the, the, the girls who, you know, professional uh, wedding celebrants who are, you know, waiting for the bridegroom to show up. Five of them are wise, five of them are, are, are foolish. The wise ones are prepared, the foolish ones aren't. And in that story, there was, you know, a promise and a command. The promise is, is that Jesus is returning, there's going to be a party, the new creation is going to happen, guaranteed. The command is, watch and be ready. Watch for him to show up. Be ready for him to show up. The story after that, the parable of the talents, defines what watching and being ready means. See, watching and being ready is not just this sort of passive and like, okay, just look to the skies and wait for Jesus to return. It's very, very active. The parable of the talents says the way that you watch and wait is by investing the gifts that God has given you and making them larger, increasing them increasing the footprint of the kingdom of God by doing what God has called you to do. This week, sheep and the goat stuff, it's going to describe for us what last week defined. 
So last week told us what it means to watch and wait. Work. Watching and waiting is not passive, but it's active responsibility. This week is going to say, here's the work that you need to be doing. And it's, um, you know, what Jesus says in this story. I want to make it as stark as I can for you because there's a way that I could talk about this as a Lutheran pastor, and I could just qualify the Dickens out of this to the point where it doesn't really mean anything anymore. So I just want to make this as stark as as I can for you. And I want to do that by just reading, if I can, um, the very last part, you know, verses, let me see here, verses 38 uh, through 40 again, the, the righteous ones are saying, you know, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, and the, kingdom, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Okay, so let's try to make this as stark as possible. And if this is like, if, if your brain sort of hiccups on this, like just hang with me for a few minutes, okay? On the last day, when it is decided who will get into the new creation and who will be cast out into everlasting darkness, your baptism will not come up. Your faith in Jesus will not come up. The moment when you ask Christ into your heart will not come up. Instead, you are going to be judged on the basis of what you did or didn't do. Did everyone understand that? At the last judgment, you are going to be judged on the basis of what you did or did not do. That's just the plain meaning of the, the, the parable. I'm going to try and explain it in a second, but I want to start off by just, in its starkness, this is what's going on, right? St. Peter's not going to say, what's your baptism date? Can I see your certificate? Okay, you're in. Jesus is going to say, did you feed me when I was hungry? Did you clothe me when I was naked? Did you visit me when I was in prison? And you're going to say, I when did I do those things? And he's going to say, if you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you did it to me. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Okay, so, um, of course, the question that comes up now, and here I go, I'm, I'm about to qualify it, but I wanted to say it starkly so that that's more important than the qualifications. Although it's important to say what I'm about to say next, else I wouldn't say it, hopefully. I've made bad decisions before with words that I've used, but hopefully this will help. Everybody now, for those of you who are Christians, especially for those of you who are Reformation-era Christians, you're thinking in your head, so it sounds like you're saying, it's not me, it sounds like Jesus is saying that somehow we're saved by works on the last day. Now, uh, we know from, from Matthew, it's from, from the Gospel of Matthew itself, that we're saved by Jesus. We're not saved by our good works, we're saved by Jesus. Uh, the angel appears to Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, it says, I'm going to send your uh, fiancé a son. His name's going to be Jesus. And he's going to save his people from your sins. You don't need to save yourself. He's going to save his people from your sins. About midway through Matthew, Matthew 17 or 18, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to carry the burden of your own salvation. I will give you rest. Matthew 20, getting closer to where we're at, he says to his disciples at once, the Son of Man, the Son of Man has come as a, as a ransom to give his life for many. So it's clear that Jesus believes that his mission is somehow to pay for the sins, not to invite you to follow his example and somehow pay for your own sins, but he himself is going to pay for your sins. So I want to affirm with the rest of biblical Christianity that salvation is by Jesus. Salvation is by faith in Christ. He's the one who accomplishes it and we're connected to him. But it's also super important to say that every time the final judgment is pictured in the New Testament, Every single time, there's not, one, there's not one example in the New Testament 
where the final judgment is pictured and it's done on the basis of your internal disposition towards Jesus. It is always done on the basis of works. Let me give you three examples real quickly, real quickly if I can. Jesus himself says in Matthew 16, the Son of Man's going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will find out who believes in him and who doesn't know. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. He'll repay each person according to what he has done. You might say, well, that, that, so that doesn't sound like Paul. Paul's clear that salvation is by grace alone and not on the basis of works. Well, let me tell you what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. This is before Romans 3 and 4. What Paul says in Romans 2 is this. Because of your hardened and penitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God, on that day, God will render to each one according to his faith or lack of faith. No, he doesn't say that. He says God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal, eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says it this way. This is more succinct. For, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive according to his or her faith. No, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. The final judgment is, is done on the basis of your works. So how can both of these be true? How can salvation be by faith alone, but the final judgment always be done on the basis of works? And, and pretty much the only way to put it, so, so you know, one of the dangers we do as Christians, all of us are, are tempted to do this, is to play proof text poker with your favorite text, right? Is to say, well, I like the texts that say salvation is by faith alone. Therefore, those texts that say, you know, sheep and the goats and, you know, did you feed the poor? That's, you know, you're just misunderstanding that because really salvation is by grace. That's what we know. The other danger would be to say, you know, on the other side, well, we know that salvation is done on the basis of works. So you must be misunderstanding that, that thing about grace. So I think there's a good biblical way to put both of those together. And it goes like this. Salvation is by grace in Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in, in him alone. However, for those who have experienced salvation by grace in Jesus Christ, it will always inevitably result in good works. Here, works of mercy towards those towards the least of these my brothers and sisters. Always. Will it be perfect? Of course not. But it will involve you. This is what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, right? This is, uh, you know, we're saved by grace through faith alone because, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not saved by grace alone, I mean, you're saved by grace alone, but you're not saved by grace and that, that, that's it. You're saved by grace alone so that you can perform works of mercy, deeds of faith, which are evidence on the last day of your faith. So that you can be judged, not on your, not on your internal disposition, but on, your, on what you've done with the faith that you've been given. So when I, I do, so I do a lot of marriage counseling and some of you who've talked to me, you know this is because... Um, like I'm a notoriously, a historically bad husband who kind of wears that on my sleeve. And so people will come and say, you know, I feel safe talking about how I'm a bad husband with you because I know that you're a bad husband too. But when I talk to couples, I don't ever, ever say, okay, listen, I have to find out. Do you really, really, really deep down inside, do you love that, that person? I, this, we have to know this. I don't, ever, I don't ever ask that question. Instead, what I say is, what are you doing? Like, how are you treating your spouse? How are you talking to your spouse? Are you transparent with your spouse, you know, with your emotions or with your thoughts or whatever? 
I'm, I'm not interested at all in how they feel. Hold on to that. What I'm interested in is how they act. Now, you can have the same criticism of, criticism as that, of that as we could have of Jesus. Well, couldn't somebody fake it? So are you telling me that all you got to do is like, you know, do some good deeds, mercy ministries, helping out the poor, and then on the last day, you're like automatically in? Are you telling me that like, if a spouse says, okay, I'll work on these things, I'll, I'll do the right thing, that the marriage is going to be fixed? No, it's possible. Look, so here's, the, so here's the deal with the marriage thing. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll be like, I'll do anything to save this marriage. And then they'll, you know, straighten up and fly right for a bit. But unless they're really actually committed to that person, their behavior will inevitably revert back to the damaging behavior that it was previously. Guaranteed. You know, you know, what, you know what I'm working with here is I know that if they're truly committed to, I don't need to say, are you truly committed to this marriage? Because they could say whatever they want. And I, I don't know if they're telling the truth or not. They don't even probably know if they're telling the truth. You can tell if they're truly committed to the marriage if they have long-term behavior change, which shows I actually care for this person more than I care for myself so much that I'll change my behavior, my speech patterns, my action patterns to benefit this other person. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you have faith in Jesus, it will show itself up in deeds of mercy and taking care of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Does that make sense? This is not, well, I'll try to explain more in just a minute about how does this all relate to Jesus. Your behavior always reflects. Look, don't fall for the two-story uh, vision of uh, uh, humanity. where like, I have an outside and an inside, and my outside can be one way, but my inside something different. Your outside will always reflect your inside. Your behavior will always reflect your internal disposition, always. Short term, you can fake it for a little bit. But you will always, if you love cheeseburgers, it will be impossible to not always, to always stay away from cheeseburgers. If you love your kids, it will be impossible to avoid your kids. If you love your spouse, it will be impossible to avoid your spouse. If you love Jesus, it will be impossible to avoid doing deeds of mercy. So much so, that on the last day, you'll be judged on the basis of whether you did these deeds of mercy. All right? All right. So what does this have to do with Jesus? This is kind of related, so I'm going to move on to this question. Kind of related to the question, like, so is Jesus saying all you got to do is like just do like good deeds for poor people and then on the last day you're in no matter what? No, because he says this, look at verse 40. He says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Same thing in verse 45. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Okay, so the qualification here is you have to be doing it to one of the least of these my brothers. You have to be doing it to one of Jesus' brothers and sisters. Okay, so now the question is, well then, who are Jesus' brothers and sisters? Uh, thankfully, Jesus answered that very same question in, in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 12, there's a man who says to him, hey, uh, your mother and your brothers are outside wanting to talk to you. And Jesus says this, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? I mean, that's the question, right? Who are my brothers? Jesus asked himself that question. Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So who's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about doing deeds of mercy to the least of these my brothers and sisters, the least of these my followers. So what we're talking about here is doing deeds of mercy for those who know Jesus because they know Jesus. That's the first thing. All right. 
This isn't just random deeds because, you know, you can do good deeds to benefit yourself. You can do works of mercy to, you know, ease your tax burden or for some sort of political gain, whatever that might be. You know, it makes you look good in the community and, or, you know, it makes, you know, makes my, my company look good if we're all out there doing good deeds. It makes us look like we're, you know, self-sacrificial. You can do good deeds for those. But what we're talking about here is doing good deeds to people because of Jesus, to see a brother or sister in Christ who is struggling and do good deeds for them because they are a brother or sister in Christ, that's, that, 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 is, that, that's, that can only be produced by faith. Look, if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm not going to do good deeds for you because you're a Christian in the name of Jesus. It's just not going to happen. So first of all, deeds of mercy for those who are connected to Christ. Does that mean that we shouldn't do acts of mercy, deeds of faith for those who aren't Christians? And the answer is no. Now track with me here, okay? This is a multi-step here. We step back out of this specific story and look at the whole story of salvation. End of Matthew, Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, etc. All right. The vision is, so, so the, the Muslims have a term for this card called Dar al-Islam, the circle of, the circle of Islam slowly expanding over the whole globe. Christians have the same vision, you know, the vision of the kingdom of God slowly expanding over increasing amounts of Glen Carbon through Madison County, through Illinois, all, all over the whole world. That's the vision of the Great Commission, right? Jump to the end, Revelation. We're gathered around the throne, worshiping Jesus as people from every tribe and tongue and nation people group. How do we get from Great Commission to that vision at the end, we're obviously somewhere here in the middle in Glen Carbon. You know, there's a group of us here. There's many other Christians here in Glen Carbon that are experiencing this as well, you know, who, who aren't going to our Lutheran church. How do we get, how do we get there? And the answer is, um, Jesus does it, right? We need to be doing what Jesus did. How did Jesus advance the gospel? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, I, I, I talked about, you didn't talk about, you listened to me talk about. We talked about the um, road to Emmaus. And the two disciples who described Jesus to himself by saying, we knew this guy, he was a prophet, mighty in word and in deed. How, how did Jesus advance his own gospel message, his own story? And the answer was, like, mighty preaching by proclaiming the word of God and by doing mighty deeds, by healing the sick, by feeding the hungry, by taking care of people who had physical needs, by raising the dead. Jesus' ministry is doing both these things, Right? Words of gospel, it's deeds of gospel altogether. And now here's what I'm saying. Works of mercy in the name of the gospel, works of mercy in the name of Jesus, done as a goal, recognizing that the destiny of the world is to belong to Jesus. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus. Acts of mercy done to either Christians because they are Christians or done to non-Christians because they're going to become Christians through the work of the gospel are what Jesus is talking about here. Does that make sense? So acts of mercy, here's what I'm saying. Deeds of mercy done to anybody, but for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, as an act of gospel proclamation. On the last day, we are going to be judged on the basis of that. I don't know how, I don't know how else to say it. So when I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, we did a lot of evangelism in the churches that I grew up in, and we were taught to, like, you go up and you cold call somebody and you ask this question, like, if you died today, and you stood before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? And the answer I was looking for, you know, as a young Baptist lad was, do you, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I have 
you know, I've trusted Jesus alone for my salvation. And I do believe in salvation by faith alone. But on the last day, and I, I also, if somebody says that to me, I don't think that's a bad answer at all. But on the last day, just to sum up on the last day, the question will be, what have you done to serve those who have needs in Jesus' name? That'll be the question, all right? One quick thing, and then I'm going I'm to do a commercial, okay? Um, some of you said, it's just a little bit different than what I've been talking about now. Some, some people will say to me, and I say it to myself sometimes, I wish I knew God better. Like, I wish I knew, I, I wish I could have a better relationship with Jesus. I want to. You know, I, I go to church, and I, and I read my Bible, and, you know, I try to live an honest life and things like that. But I wish I knew God better. And in the sense that you don't know God better, maybe it's part of it's just being living in a broken world where there's a gap between us and God since the fall. But part of it is this. Have you gone to where God's at? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? As much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is so much so, you know, so much so that when you do it, you don't know that you're serving Jesus you're serving somebody else and you don't know that it's Jesus you're serving. What Jesus is saying here is that I identify with the poor. And I don't have, I don't have time to, to, to get into like a cross-scriptural explanation of how this works out in the story of salvation. It's everywhere. It's in the prophets, it's in the gospels, it's in Paul, it's in 2 Corinthians. Just a couple of quick examples here. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. You're generous to the poor. You're actually being generous to the Lord by being generous to the poor. Conversely, Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. By oppressing a poor person, you are actually oppressing God. God identifies with the poor. To serve the poor is to serve God. If you don't, if you want to experience God and you feel like you haven't been, maybe it's because you've not been doing mercy. Maybe it's because you're not where God is at. Maybe God isn't locked behind the doors of your suburban home. Maybe that's not where God is at. And I'm not, God's everywhere, of course, right? But you want this deeper experience of it. Maybe you should go where God's at. Where is God at? This is one of the answers. Actually, there's several answers. If you're driving into church, maybe you've noticed on the marquee, if people read marquees, I don't know. You know, there's three words at the bottom of our sign on both sides out here. A word, community, and mercy. You know, and you look at that and you're like, okay, that's kind of a little buzzwordy, you know. Maybe it's, you know, so word, they preach the, from the Bible, you know, it's a Lutheran church. Community, you can make friends here, people like you here. Mercy, we do nice things in the community, so you should root for us. You know, please let us keep our, our tax exemption status. You know, maybe, maybe you could read it as those sorts of things. But actually, you know why those three, those three things are the essential ingredients to St. James Lutheran Church, or they should be. You know why those three are so important? You know why those three are up there? Because it's the three ways in Scripture where God says, guaranteed, I will be there. Word, community, and mercy. Word, God is present in his word. So much so that John 1, 1, Jesus is called the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know that when God's word is read and studied and preached and listened to preached and taught and listened to taught, that God himself is present. 1 Peter 4 says it's God himself speaking through his word. We know the Holy Communion is the word in bread and wine form. It's God's communication to us. It's the word, capital W. It's Jesus himself in bread and wine form. What about community? 1 Corinthians 12, you want to know Jesus? 
we'll go to where the body of Christ is at. You know, Paul's not messing around when he calls the church the body of Christ. It's not some sort of weird metaphor. He's saying literally the church is the body of Christ. You want to know Jesus? You can't do it on your own. You have to be in community. Mercy. Jesus says it explicitly here. You do works for the poor in Jesus' name, you're actually making contact with the infinite, eternal creator and redeemer of the universe. You want to know Jesus better? Word, community, and mercy. This morning we can focus on mercy for a little bit, right? Works of mercy. Absolutely ascent. Can I, can I make this any stronger? You are, you are now I, I realize I'm repeating myself to some extent here. You are saved by grace through faith alone, but you will be judged on the last day whether or not you did works of mercy in Jesus' name. That will be your judgment on the last day. Okay, so how do you do it? This is why I almost had Stacy and Kate come up here in the middle of my sermon and do their speech now because they're offering you an opportunity to get involved. Sandy Hall is going to um, uh, pack, uh, pack and take Thanksgiving dinners to families at the Glen Carbon Elementary School who need them. There's a Christmas Mercy Ministry project going on. There is an international student ministry going on. This is an easy one to do. The international student ministry, Angela and I and some other people, some other of you do this. It's an easy way to like minister to somebody who has need. Okay, so maybe it's not like this dirt poor person. I don't think Jesus is like creating an economic standard where if it's below this, you know, if it's below this amount of money they make a year, then I count that as, you know, you can get into the new creation. If it's above that, now you're just messing around having fun. So serving people who have needs. There's so many opportunities to, for you to do that in community. I know there's so many opportunities for you to do that on your own too, but to do that in community, there are opportunities to do this. For us as a church to be a mercy-driven church, to be a church that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ by our deeds of faith and by taking care of those, who, those people who need it. Stand with me and let's pray. God, we thank you for being like, so God, we, first of all, we thank you for giving yourself to us. We thank you for giving yourself to us in your word and in your sacraments. We thank you for giving yourself to us in community, in the experience that we have of the power of your Holy Spirit and his gifts of the body of Christ here at St. James. We thank you for giving yourself to us in these opportunities of deeds of mercy. God, help us to experience you. Look, we want to be good neighbors. Father, we want to be kind people. But most of all, we want to be on mission for you. We want to experience the power of your gospel. We want to experience your son, Jesus. And now here in Matthew 25, you've told us that waiting for his coming, a part of that is the experience of him in acts of mercy. And it put us on this mission, all of us as a church, Father. Help none of us to walk out of here and think, oh, you know, wow, that's interesting, Matthew 25. But help us to be lit up on fire, to be on mission for you. Lord, in your mercy. God, I pray for everybody who's struggling. And of course, these are tied together. So many people are struggling uh, with sickness. There's people in the church who are struggling with sickness and with loneliness. And here it is. We have this opportunity uh, to be on this mercy mission with you as, as a lived out, embodied act of our faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Put us on this mission, God. Be with these people who are struggling, people who uh, are lonely, people who have physical ailments, people who are struggling with this virus and with the secondary ancillary effects of the virus, whether it's economic or social or psychological, whatever it is, be with, especially this morning, Father, be with Joyce, who is uh, still struggling physically, uh, getting a little bit better now, but still struggling physically in and out of the hospital. 
pour strength and healing and energy into her body. Be with her, Father. Give her a a, a powerful sense of your presence. And may that sense happen as we, as her friends and and brothers and sisters in Christ, reach out to her. Father, I pray that you be with the family of John, whose father uh, passed away uh, suddenly this past week. That you would give them hope and comfort in your gospel. That you would empower us to reach out to them and take care of them. In the name of your son, Jesus, as an act of mercy, as evidence of our faith in, that, in your son. Father, be with all these people and with everyone else who's struggling. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only, as always, but it's even more vivid from this text, as always, we are grateful that you have made us your brothers and sisters, made us your sons and daughters by making us the brothers and sisters of your son, Jesus. And we know and confess that we can only pray these things to you because he's brought us into your throne room. And so we pray this in the name of our brother, Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.